Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Caspar McLeod, and back with me on this episode, Fraser Douglas. Fraser, welcome back to the podcast, mate. How have you been? It's a pleasure to have you back on. I'm doing well, Casper. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be back on the Through the Banner podcast. It's been a while between drinks, but um, yeah, good to be here. Plenty happening in footy as always, mate. So uh, let's get stuck in. Absolutely. Lots of, if the overhead fan can just like calm down <laughs> for a second, lots of positives and lots of negatives. Um, massive, massive, massive few days in the football world. Let's start off with, as always, the top two highlights. Fraser, what were your top two highlights of what was a crazy crazy weekend uh it's one of the highlights of mine definitely um port adelaide just kind of being able to they were looking it was looking tough there for a moment they were oh and five and i wasn't sure how they were gonna um i was ready to call curtains on the year just about and uh they've done well to string three together in a row now and um really impressive they've uh stood up in the fourth half of the ground with with still plenty of injuries so i've been um I've been wrapped with that. I've liked to see the um, I've liked seeing the progression of um, Todd Marshall. I've liked how um, Finlayson's fitted in. I'm not sure how that's going to work when we do see Dixon returning to the side, but um, at least some positives for for Port Adelaide because I'm sure the the crazy um, footy media over in South Australia were you know, getting the pitchforks out for Kenny Hinckley. So good to get some pressure off his back, and um, it'll be interesting to see what they can do with North Melbourne this weekend. I'm, I think they should just be able to um, handle them and um, hopefully move to four wins on the year. My other highlight, I'm a Swans man, as you know, but uh, it's got to be the Suns for mine. I think they've, although they're not, they're not a, probably a top eight side still. I feel like they've found their kind of niche. They're a, they're a strong, solid team. They're consistent. They turn up every week. I saw them play against um, Collingwood a couple of weeks back. And although they didn't win that day, um, really impressive performance, the way they plugged away all day and, um, they might not have the class of someone like a, like a Collingwood or even like a Sydney, they mm. can still stand up. And when those teams aren't on their game, they can win. And um, yeah, impressive, impressive without being outstanding, but that's um, it's, it's still good signs, I think. And um, they're, they're heading in the right direction. What about you, mate? What are your two highlights? Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. I like it. My first highlight is a two-parter and it is the return of two legends. First, is Dustin Martin, and I'll get to Dusty later in a second, but let's just say the king of the jungle is back on his throne, and what a performance to stamp his return. Really won the game, I think, for Richmond. Um, and sure, they won comfortably. They probably would have won comfortably without him, but just him being there, they're a better team automatically with him just on the field, even if he doesn't do anything. And second, Adam Goods. How great was it to see him back at DSCG for the Swans' 10-year 2012 Premiership reunion. Just great to see him back amongst his friends, amongst his former teammates, just smiling again. Honestly, I genuinely thought that I would never see him at DSCG again. So the fact that he was there warmed my heart. And the second highlight, I have bashed this team from pillar to post. And you know what? I'm going to mention it. The Bombers are back momentarily at least oh there were so many moments in that game when I thought we were going to lose right when the Hawks dominated the first 10 minutes only to let us off by kicking the the three or four behinds from the first four scoring shots when we conceded the uh, last three goals of the first quarter in quick succession when the lead got out to 30 points in the third quarter when in that third quarter we kicked two goals seven 
when Peter Wright, who had an amazing game, gave away that stupid free kick when he slung Frost to the ground and the goal that put us in front for a moment was disallowed when the umpire paid a bizarre deliberate out of bounds that even the commentator said was a bad call. See, fans of other 17 clubs, we aren't crazy, okay? We aren't seeing things when we complain about bad free kicks. And yet that last quarter was possibly the most beautiful last quarter any Essendon side has had since the 1985 grand final when we kicked 11 goals to blow the Hawks to pieces. And on Saturday night, we turned the game on its head in a manner that reminded me of highlights of the 1984 decider. Similar margin we trailed by and ended up winning by two in that game. Peter Wright, Nick Hine, Dylan Shield, Devin Smith, Sam Draper after halftime, Heppel, everyone played like they were parts of a well oiled machine and I hope that they smiled a lot in the aftermath of that game fantastic now of course for every highlight there is a low light for me number one it has got to be the stupid cursed west coast eagles (laughs) now I am co-opting this term from the uh, current scandal involving Boris Johnson the British prime minister but I'm calling it party gate Partygate, the injury list, the tough opponent, the coach in isolation, having to be coached by Matthew Knights. It's uh, nothing else that could go wrong for this team. Maybe that one is a little bit tough on Matthew Knights. But still, you know this team is in a dark, dark, dark place when you look at a 75-point loss and go, you know what? Yeah, that could have been a lot worse. That could have been a lot worse. You know what? A 75-point loss, that's kind of respectable. When a 75-point loss is respectable, you are in a terrible place as a football club. And my second low light is, once again, a two-parter because I cannot split these two teams. Both New South Wales teams uh, had a shocking Saturday for different reasons. The Swans, once again, headed in as favourites against Suns and once again just could not cope with the Suns' pressure at DSCG. I don't know what it is about playing Gold Coast at that venue, but the Swans almost always capitulate to them. Always have been since that 2018 game. And it was, I, 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 I was at work for most of that game. But by the time I got home and, you know, got changed out of my work clothes and, you know, got, got ready for the rest of the day, there's only five minutes left. And watching those five minutes, every single time the Swans got the ball in defensive 50 or halfback flank, and looked to go in the corridor, they always butchered it. It was amazing to watch. Like turnover, turnover, turnover. You could almost predict it, right? It was as sure as the sun rising in the morning. I, I, I don't know what happened. And then the Giants were even worse to kick only four goals in a game of football against a team that at times have really struggled to contain teams defensively Geelong this year. It was just, oh, it was just an abysmal, abysmal, abysmal weekend for New South Wales football and for the Giants, well, eventually led to the end of uh, Leon Cameron, which we'll get to later on. Fraser, what were your top two lowlights? It's always a sour uh, point of the weekend, isn't there, mate? And um, as you touched on great points there with the New South Wales teams, uh, couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. Disappointing as a, as a New South Welsh and myself. Um, <laughs> for mine, Friday night, I caught the... Um, the, as much as I would have loved to watch most of the Frio um, Kangaroos game, I decided to opt for the power and the dogs. And 
Although the dogs, I mean, they're still, it's not like they've fallen off the face of the earth, but at the same time, it's a, it's a grand finalist from last year and they're, they're off the pace at the moment. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, they're three and five. They're three and five. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, there's not, there's not been a lot made of it, but um, they're, they're at a moment now where they kind of need to get going. They've got Collingwood on Friday night, which should be a really good game and um, hopefully high scoring, um, two, two strong attacking teams when they're up and going. So Really looking forward to that. Looking forward to um, talking about that one with you, mate. So um, the dogs there, they're kind of treading water at the moment, three and five. So they need to kind of get kicking. And um, yeah, it's it's not like they're ravaged by injuries either. Like there's there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of teams who have we've touched you've touched on West Coast and they're they're nowhere with COVID and injury. And the dogs do have a few players out here and there, but yeah, it's um, it's not looking great. And the other one for mine, another low light. Um, St Kilda um, started the season so well, five and one, mm. and they've just kind of kind of fallen into a little bit of a, a heap in the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously, still in a really good spot, still inside the eight, but um, Melbourne just absolutely put them to sword to the sword on Sunday. And um, I caught that game, and they just kind of blew them out of the water in the first quarter, and they really had no answer. There, there were moments where they looked looked okay with the ball, looked strong with the ball, even they they show their what they're capable of. The Saints, but Melbourne, I mean, it's almost it's almost just a way to get Melbourne into a highlight. Melbourne's just kind of head and shoulders above the field with Brisbane, the only one who kind of seems um, close at the moment. So, yeah, those are my two lowlights, mate. Let's um, get cracking into some other, some other content. Well, right before we get on to that, I want to ask you, which player surprised you the most? That's the right, I'll go first oh, on okay. one. Dustin Martin. Right. Now, granted, there's part of me that feels like I shouldn't have been surprised about this, right? I mean, after all, he's won three Norm Smith medals. He's won a Brownwell. He's won three premiership medals. He is one of the greatest players to have ever played the game. And he is, if not the greatest, then at least the top like three or four best players in the competition at the moment on his day. But there was part of me that was thinking, I wonder if he's going to really struggle coming back. Hasn't played a competitive game of football since round one. Taken a lot of time off for mental health reasons. Only been training for, what, like a week? Maybe two weeks back at Tigerland? How is he going to cope? Well, I'll tell you how he coped. Two goals, 23 disposals, five marks, couple of clearances for good measure, 358 metres gained, and 85% of the game on the ground. The king of Tigerland is back. And he's just doing what Dustin Martin does best. Unbelievable performance. And to me, he is he is a footy immortal. He is a football god. Uh, and none of us are worthy of watching him. What about you, Fraser? Who surprised you the most? Great point, mate. Um, can't let that go without um, saying how good Dusty was on the weekend. Um, just a just a sensational player. Can't, um, can't wait to be able to get along to the footy and see him live again. Um, for mine, a uh, player who's probably one of the most unrecognised but um, still overachieving players in the league, that's Will Brody from Frio. Um, had him kind of on the scrap heap at the Suns, just getting very limited opportunities at senior level and has obviously uh, made the move over to Frio in the off-season and um, has taken the opportunity by the scruff of the, ne- the, scruff of the neck Um 37 disposals on the weekend against North. And obviously it's North, but he's doing it consistently in um, in limited game time, mind you. I think he's averaging below like 70% game time. Obviously Fremantle with a with a relatively stacked midfield in that um, in that part of the ground. So kudos to him. He's 89% effective on the weekend, four tackles, four clearances, five inside 50s, 
493 meters gained and just playing his role. And that's so, that's so um, um, beneficial to what Fremantle are doing at the moment. They've kind of found ways to make players play their roles. There isn't really any player who doesn't kind of seem like they're contributing to the senior side. So um, kudos to him and kudos to the Dockers. Yep, absolutely going to be fascinating to see him coming up against his old team this weekend. Now on to normally we have four main talking points every single week. Uh, This time though, big news to come out of the AFL in the last 24 hours um, means we've got an additional fifth topic and let's get straight into that one. Leon Cameron to coach his last game for the Giants this weekend, Mark McVeigh, to then take over as caretaker for the rest of the season. Fraser, I want to ask you, what was your reaction to this? And I want to ask you a few questions after that. How should Leon Cameron's career as head coach of the Giants be looked back on? And who should the Giants go for? I wouldn't say I was shocked by the news. Um, it's kind of been in the tea leaves for a while that, um, the camera wouldn't coach the Giants beyond this season when it came to the light that um, contract negotiations had been put on hold. There was Caroline Wilson had a story on it recently. Um, the early season struggles of the Giants have only really compounded those issues. So it's obviously been a tough start to the year for the Giants. And as you spoke about, uh, the New South Wales teams had a shocking weekend. So this only just kind of made it worse today when we heard the news this morning. Um, as far as how should his tenure be remembered, I think it's pretty damn good effort considering where the Giants came from. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously a really good foundation with um, Kevin Sheedy and it helps when you're getting so many priority picks and all that kind of stuff, the zone selections. And obviously that's changed now, but they gave them a really good foundation. Um, great runners coach um, in terms of record, 94 wins, 81 losses, four draws over nine seasons, obviously made the grand final in 2019. And what was a... Um, a really good run obviously had that um, year where they could have made the grand final against the dogs and we would have ended up with the the sydney gws grand final that would have been pretty special but not to be and that was the dogs day and unfortunately to say for myself um <laughs> i guess it kind of shows how quickly um the tide can shift they obviously um knocked over the swans in the elimination final for what seems like the 80th time in the last five years and played valiantly without um, Toby Green um, against along in their semi-final. And um, obviously it's kind of all gone downhill since then. Um, as far as where they go to, where they go now, obviously they've got the caretaker in McVeigh coming in. Um, well, he's there now, but he'll, he'll take over. Um, GWS's list and like the salary cap profile has them very much built as a contender. This isn't a team with stacks of space. We know that they've got plenty of, high quality players still on big money, whether it's um, um, reasonable to assess them as a real contender still, that's probably another question entirely. And that would probably take us a while to figure out. So we'll leave that to another mm. day, mate. Mm. My, myself, I struggle to see them um, looking for a first time senior coach. I think they look for someone mm. with, with some seniority. Um, did someone say Clarko? Um, mm-hmm. probably enters, enters the mind. I've seen a few stories on that kind of um, who will coach the giants next. And obviously, Parker's name's the first one that's going to come to mind. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm pretty damn sure they will look at someone who, who has some senior, senior coaching experience, where that comes from and whether they can um, manage to get Alistair Clarkson remains to be seen. Um, and, uh, another option is obviously Ross Lyon, whether he wants to leave Melbourne, I'm not sure. So it's um interesting time. It's, it's, a, it's an attractive list for a coach, I would imagine, looking from the outside in, whether it's... Um, that attractive um, in terms of being able to contend straight away. 
I'm not that confident, but um, who knows? It's um, each to their own. What about yourself, mate? What do you think about the whole situation? Well, first, just on Leon Cameron, um, I do I do feel for him, and I can't remember who who made this point earlier this year. Uh, may have been Damian Barrett, but he never got a good run with injuries. Never, ever, ever got a good run with injuries during that premiership window. And so the fact that he was able to take the Giants to prelim final within a kick of the grand final in 2016, prelim final 2017, semi-final 2018, grand final 2019, and then semi-final 2021, with the amount of injuries that they had, showed the fact that I think he's been a very, very good coach for GWS. And they definitely made the right hire to take over from Kevin Sheedy. Um, but with that being said, when you're in the job for as long as you are, and this might be a bit unfair, but when you're in the job for as long as Leon Cameron has been into his ninth season, and you've only and you have the list that you have, even with the injuries, you still have all these great players, and you only make the grand final once, and you lose that grand final by just under ninety points. I think part of it has to be viewed as a failure. As for who the Giants should go for as head coach, one name that has been floating around a little bit ever since he joined the Giants in early 2022, James Hurd. Now, as an Essendon supporter, I would love to see Hurdy back. I would love to see Hurdy back. I think he was unfairly scapegoated by most of the comp for what happened at the supplements uh, supplement saga. I personally don't put any blame on what happened at that club um, at the feet of James Hurd. Um, and it's great to see him back involved in football. And not to mention the fact that in 2011, which was the year before we cheated, he was building a very, very, very nice team. And he had a great season. Went from 14th to the finals 2013 with all the pressure of the supplements saga going on. We still, we technically should have made finals if it wasn't for being kicked out by the AFL. He's a good coach when he doesn't have pressure. He proves himself to be a good coach and I would love to see him coach again. The only question mark is, would he want to coach again? I think for me, that's the major question. Everyone's been talking about James Hurd. I'm not sure he wants to coach again. I think Alistair Clarkson is the logical option. Ross Lyon, potentially, maybe even Paul Roos. Give him a call. Why not? I mean, it worked for one Sydney team. It could work for the other one. Um, as for if they were to go for an inexperienced uh, coach, got to think one of the highly rated assistant coaches like Blake, Clar- Blake Carousella or um, Adam Uze or um, Adam Kingsley, who came very close to both the Carlton and Collingwood jobs last year you got to think that they're potentially on the radar and who knows maybe even saw on the um fo website i think it was maybe even ken hinckley depending on how the situation at port plays out this year he could be looking for a job come the end of the season as well so lots to play out here uh, and all the best to leon cameron for whatever comes next in his uh in his life now we will touch upon football again but there was one major news story that came out of the last few days, not so much to do with any football action on field. Um, the Heretia Lumumba versus Collingwood situation took yet another turn 
when it was revealed in a dossier released by Lumumba that uh, allegedly Collingwood and lots of people at Collingwood participated in sexist, racist, and homophobic behaviors, the details of which are shocking. And because I'm trying to keep this as family friendly as possible, I'm not going to repeat those allegations on here, but I would recommend um, the listener to go and look it up themselves. But just keep in mind the fact that it's potentially triggering. Um, and then the leaked audio messages, the leaked recordings. I want to ask you, Fraser, about this. What is your reaction to this? What is what is your opinion on what has been happening? I I read a piece. Um, I think it was in the I think it was in the Guardian, and um, this is from a little while ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of saying that about their reactions through this whole kind of development over the last. Well, it feels like it's been going on for years now, and it has. Um, obviously it's only come to public um, the public flight in recent, more recent times, but this dates back to 2013, 20, 14. That's when some of these audio recordings are, um, were recorded that um, were leaked on, well, not leaked, were um, published on Twitter by Lumumba last night. Um, and basically the, the writer of the piece, um, I've forgotten his name, but he kind of contended that when it kind of came out, it was kind of... Um, almost disregarded by the, not only the public, but the Collingwood um, um, officials that they kind of said, um, fall in line, Lumumba, um, you're talking out of t- your turn. Um, it's about team here, not about the individual. And obviously this is a very sensitive um, case where we're dealing with um, sensitive issues like racism and homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically said that when he heard the news and when he continued to hear the news, he kind of thought to himself, um, what is this guy talking about? This isn't, this didn't happen. We've obviously heard um, question marks regarding Lumumba's mental health at times um, made by um, a number of Collingwood people. And while um, as coming from the outside, it's obviously difficult to make comments um, and it is such a sensitive topic. Um, it becomes really difficult to, um, the more you think about it, it becomes really difficult to just say, this didn't happen, if you know what I mean. You want to give someone in that position the benefit of the doubt, if you know what I mean. Um, it's obviously really tricky when we don't have all the information here. And even with um, the tweets that Lumumba posted last night, um, Nathan Buckley obviously responded and said, could you please share the um, full unedited version of the audio, which we obviously don't know whether the audio is edited itself. Um, there's obviously legal implications in this matter. Um, was it shared? It's obviously been shared unconsensually, but um, does it have um, grounds for um, public um, knowledge, if you know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of... Um, um, the whole situation, Lumumba's obviously made it very clear that he feels he was wronged by Collingwood. And so did teammates, um, Leon Davis and Andrew Cracker, who we found out last month had also cut ties with Collingwood. So there, you think about it, you'd hope, you'd imagine there is some sort of validity to these claims. If both of those players, two legends of the club, have also cut ties with Collingwood, it's hard. It becomes very difficult to say, 
no, that doesn't sound right. Mm. That didn't. That couldn't have happened. Three three blokes who, um, who gave a lot of time to that club, have no longer want to um, speak to or um, speak to the club um, about these matters. We've obviously had the do better report, which concluded that um, Collingwood had failed to meet minimum requirements for human rights protection during um, their, those players' time at the club, and they've promised to do better. Those tweets, the tweet thread, he um, Lumumba um, alleged that his conversations with the club, um, he's obviously been speaking with the club in the pursuit of recon- reconciliation, and he's kind of decided or um, alleged that it doesn't seem to have been that change that Collingwood has said there kind of would be. They were hoping that, that he was hoping to, that it would come about and for them as well. Um, with the um, leaking of the, or not leaking, the publication of the audio, um, it's obviously a bit of a grey area as I kind of touched on and um, it becomes difficult to, to make um, judgment, with, especially with audio because audio is so easily doctored these days. Um, but... Yeah, that's kind of where it's kind of where it becomes very difficult. You kind of you definitely as in these um, in a situation like these when we're dealing with such sensitive topics, you want to give someone who's been through a situation like this the benefit of the doubt. And um, I think both of both my me and yourself would be um, definitely in that ba- in that boat. Um, but it is such a tough situation, and um, hopefully he's um, hopefully he's in an okay place right now. And um, He's on, he's on the improve. What about yourself, mate? What are your kind of thoughts on the situation? Well, as you said, we haven't heard the full conversation in which those uh, audio messages, those snippets come from. And so I'm, I'm, I'm cautious of that. Um, however, from the little bit that we did hear, hearing Nathan Buckley call, you know, say to, say to Heretia um, that, that, that you've gone rogue um, and say, you know, and defending Eddie Maguire, which on the one hand, at a base level, I can, I can, I can almost, if I squint at it, understand if Nathan Buckley wanted to protect his boss and the image of the club that he worked, that he's worked at for at that time, 20, 20 years as a player and as assistant coach and then as a head coach. But at the same time, and I think more pressingly, it's really disappointing that the concerns that Lumumba raised seem to have been just pushed aside and just kind of discarded. And the fact that it's, not just Lumumba, but it's, I think you said Cracker um, as well, former player now, he's cut ties with Collingwood. Um, and the fact that it's not just Collingwood, right? It's recently Hawthorne with Surioli in 2020, it was St Kilda with Robert Muir. It's it's clear to me that, or well, a couple a couple of episodes ago, I talked about the, um, the AFL and the Australian uh wider community having a sexism problem Um, and it's clear to me the fact that there is still a massive racism problem when I see the response on social media from a lot of people being you know what else do you want towards the number like what else do you want like you know come on you're being unreasonable which I think is extremely unfair 
um, to, to, to Lumumba. Um, as for this particular situation, I think that, uh, well, I hope, I really hope that Lumumba comes to a sense of healing about this. Um, and from what I understand and from what I've heard, Collingwood are putting steps in to address their, their problems and they are trying to make those changes, which is really good. Um, but I hope that the other clubs, that the other 17 clubs use what has happened as Collingwood as a realization that, you know, that there is need for change um, and that times have changed and that what was once viewed as acceptable is not acceptable anymore. Not that it was ever acceptable to begin with. Um, now, Collingwood off-field has had a uh, pretty horrible few days. On-field, tough loss to the Tigers. They've hit a bit of a roadblock, the Magpies. Started the year with their first, uh, winning their first two games. Lost round three, four, and five. Great win on Anzac Day. Great win in round seven, and then lost round eight. Pros, big losses last couple of games. Hit a roadblock, and the Hawks, once again, in the second time in the space of two, uh, second time in the space of three weeks, really good position, strong start, and then a massive collapse. Bombers kicking eight goals in the last quarter on the weekend, and on that day, the Swans kicking nine. I want to ask you, with these three teams, is this now what we should expect from these clubs for the rest of the year? I think it's a good, um, it's a really good question, mate. Um, even just on the last weekend, Collingwood, Adelaide and Hawthorne, they all show, all show good signs. Um, they've obviously all, um, all played well at points throughout um, this season in its, um, in its infancy. Um, but um, at the same time, none of Collingwood, Adelaide or Hawthorne are finals teams in my mind. So I lean, um, I lean to yes in that regard. I don't think it's not like I think that's a um, a hot take or anything. It's it's Adelaide out of the three who actually has the best profile statistically. Um, they have top ten numbers in contested possessions, clearances, and disposal efficiency, and yet they actually sort of the lowest rung the ladder of all the three teams. They've obviously got class um, at points and areas around um, around the ground, um, different areas for those three sides, and it's not like there's no hope at those clubs. Um, if I was a supporter of any three of those clubs, I'd feel like I was a genuine chance of a win going to the footy, except against probably Melbourne and Brisbane, if you know what I mean. That's kind of the how the competition is at the moment. It's pretty pretty damn even, which is which is a good thing. Mm. Um, but I think it's safe to say that those those three teams will probably lose more games than they win for the rest of the season. What about you, Matt? What do you think? I think. Out of those three, you probably look at Adelaide as being the club who I think can most um, challenge for the finals. Because Hawthorne, they're too young, and I don't trust their older players. Collingwood, they're going through a bit of a transition period. For me, they're kind of like where the Crows were 2019, 2020. And because of that, because they have a lot of young players who haven't played a lot of football, I do expect them to, you know, kind of drop off more quickly than the Crows this year. But with that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if these three clubs end up occupying three spots in the bottom six come the end of the season, which isn't a bad thing. Um, you know, I think most people expected those three clubs to be in the in the bottom third of the comp come the end of the year. They've shown a lot of promising signs. 
Um, it's just whether or not they can then build on that next year and then the year after that. Because um, what they don't want to do is stagnate like the Gold Coast Suns have, like West Coast are starting to do, like North Melbourne are starting to do. Um, every single year you kind of hope for improvement so if they can show that next year then I think short-term pain will be definitely worth hopefully long-term gain for those two uh, for those three teams now um on to our respective teams Fraser first off we'll start with the Sydney Swans shocking loss to Gold Coast as we mentioned earlier I want to ask you was it more a case of the Suns being better than many people expect them to be? Or are the Swans actually not as good? I watched the Suns uh, mention this. I watched the Suns play Collingwood a couple of weeks ago at the um, at the MCG. And although they were our class, they were good signs. They're a solid contested footy team. They rank fifth for clearances, eighth in contested possessions. The issue comes away from the contest where they rank dead last in the league in disposal efficiency um, and 15th in efficiency inside 50. That matters little when your opponent has 68 claimers, which is the Swans, obviously, and struggles for any, I um, mean, any sort of AFL-level ball movement for the entirety of the game. Um, Gold Coast are a sound football team, and they force you to beat them. Collingwood did that the week before, uh, but that wasn't something this, um, the Swans were able to do on Saturday. Yeah. Sydney, Sydney's accuracy on goal, which is really good, number two in the league, that will keep them in most games, but this wasn't, wasn't one of them. Um, I'm expecting them to to bounce back um, hopefully hard against your boys, the Dons, this week. But uh, at the same time, the Suns will make Fremantle earn um, their game when they play on Sunday. So at this kind of this, when this question kind of leads me, it's kind of a mixture of both. Um, the Suns are, Suns are a solid football team, whether they can play at that level um, most, most weeks. Um, I'll probably say yes. I mean, they, they won't, the Suns weren't amazing on Saturday. They were solid. That's kind of how I think of it. Whereas the Swans were insipid. So um, hopefully I would imagine the Swans are better than that. And the Suns probably played to their, to their level. And that was good enough for them to get the win. What did you, what did you think of the, of the game, Matt? Oh, I mean, look, I think the Suns, the Suns are probably better than their record shows. The fact that they compared to previous years, have only had one really big loss so far. I think it's a big improvement because we're, we're used to now them falling off a cliff. Um, as for the Swans, I do think they were very lucky to get their win against North Melbourne early in the year. I think they were lucky to get their win against GWS early in the year, considering the fact that the Giants controlled that first half. So for me, looking at the Swans and looking at the fact that they've only lost three games this year, you look at the three losses, they lost comfortably to Brisbane. Okay, there's no shame in that. But what it does show is the fact that Brisbane, a premier contender, is light years ahead of where the Swans are at the moment. They lost to the Dogs, who are going pretty poorly, in a game where the Dogs kicked nine goals, 17. So the Dogs should have won by more, a lot more than what they did. And then they lost to the Suns in a game where the Swans, it's almost like somebody getting ready for work and then all of a sudden slipping on a banana peel, walking into the office. Like you've done all the hard work, turning the ball over in your defensive 50. You have the Suns defense caught out 
all you got to do is just hit targets should be the easiest thing to do in football. So what the losses for me have shown is that the Swans don't deal with pressure well, which for me is a major problem for Sydney because if they can't deal with pressure well, then they are going to be pushovers come finals football, even if, if, they, if they're going to make finals football because there's no guarantee yet that they're going to make it. As for the Suns, I think they are, they've gone from the worst team in the competition to one of the worst teams in the competition to a eh, pretty bad team to where I think they are now, which is decent. I think they're a decent football team. Um, and the wins will come. The wins will come for the Suns. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns just miss out on finals football this year, truth be told. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think truth be told, same, same with you, basically. I think it's both. I think it's more so the Swans not being as good as we thought they were. But take nothing away from Gold Coast. They have been phenomenal this year for most of the season. Now, as for my team, the Bombers, great win against Hawthorne. Fantastic victory. Great to get against the old enemy. But we are two and six with a pitiful percentage after hemorrhaging goals against Geelong and a big loss against Fremantle. I want to ask you, is it too late for Essendon to play finals football? Uh, I hate to say this, mate, but yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean... Look, keep in mind, we were two and six to start the year last year. I'll give you that. I'll pay that. Um, I mean... To, put, to be fair, um, I think they could still make it. If you look like, even looking at the ladder, because I, as I mentioned earlier, it is so even. They're not like, it's not like they're, oh, they need to win seven of the next eight to get close. They're, they're like two games out, basically. So it's not like they have absolutely nowhere. They've got, they've got a chance. And as you said last year, they were in this position last year. So they're not without any hope. Um, but... I mean, it was it was Hawthorne. It's like they beat fucking. They didn't beat West Coast, if you know what I mean. Um, mm. I mean, it was a much needed win for for Ben Rutten and the Bombers. Um, um, but Essendon's still ranked second last. Only West Coast in contested possessions, and I'm not sure West Coast has got a contested possession this year. So, not a, not a great stat. Fifteenth um, in clearances. Um, I mean, obviously, the hope for Essendon supporters is. Um, now is when the tide will turn, but um, that remains to be seen. I mean, we kind of need to see more of a consist, a bit of more um, of a consistent um, brand of football before we can go there. Obviously, um, I think both of us had, I think both of us had Essendon in our top eight this year. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see them getting on that sort of run the way they've played so far. But um, we saw when they were up and going last year, they could do it. So. Um, I wouldn't write them off just yet, but I wouldn't say I would be penciling them, in, them into your top eight, let alone your top 11 at this point. What about you, Matt? It's okay. So just to compare, <laughs> just to compare 2021 to 2022. Yes, we were, were two and six both years. However, in 2021, we suffered during that first stretch a lot of close losses. A lot of close losses that we should have won. Hawthorne in round one, Sydney in round four, Giants in round eight. Had we won those games, we wouldn't have had to make that amazing late season comeback to make finals football. We would have made it pretty comfortably in the end. This time around, 
we are leaking points like a leaky faucet. We are getting crushed, if not by embarrassing margins, then at least by comfortable margins, most games. And our percentage at the moment shows the fact that we are currently playing at bottom four level. Now, I think we are better than a bottom four team, but we have a really tough stretch of games coming up. Swans at a ground that we don't play well at. Tigers, a team we haven't beaten since 2014. Rejuvenated Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. Then we have the bye. Then we have Carlton, team that's currently in the top four. That's our 150th celebration game, AFL. Carlton at the MCG. And then we have St. Kilda, who may or may not be a finals contender this season before we have some respite and we play the Eagles. But even that game's in Perth, again, at a venue where we struggled to play at. So for me, looking at that stretch, if we can survive that stretch, losing only one game, then dare I say we're almost a lock for finals football. But even then, soon after that West Coast game around 15, we play the Swans at the MCG. The Swans beat us there last year. And then we play the Lions at the Gabba. It's an extremely brutal run. If we can survive from here till the end of round 17, 18 or so, with just two losses, dare I say, lock us in for finals football. But I cannot see that happening at the moment. There's just too many good teams that are far better than us this year. I think it's going to be like 2018, where we had another two and six start to the year. So I've seen a little bit of a trend, two and six start to the year, and we ended up finishing 11th. So I think that's exactly what's going to happen this year. Maybe not exactly 11th, but around that. Now, on to predicting what promises to be a mammoth, mammoth weekend of football starts off with a really intriguing Friday night contest, Collingwood versus the Western Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium. Waitman, Vandermeer, O'Brien, out for the dogs, potentially Bontempelli back in. Keith, I haven't looked at the teams, by the way. This is just speculation from when I wrote this, which was yesterday, recording this on the Wednesday. Keith might be back. English might be back. Here's how I look at this game. Collingwood are top four, uh, sorry, top four for highest goal kicking accuracy. The dogs are bottom six. Collingwood, on average, have more inside 50s than dogs per game, and they have more tackles. So the ball gets inside 50 more often. Collingwood convert more when it does go inside 50. And when the ball hits the ground, they pressure their opposition far more than the dogs do. Because of this, even though it's at the dogs' home ground, Collingwood home game playing at the dogs' home ground, I wonder how Eddie McGuire feels about that. I think Collingwood's going to win by seven points. How about you? Okay, we're starting off. Often we're often we're on the same wavelength, mate. So it's good we've had a bit of a disagreement here. So mm-hmm. I'm go- I'm tipping the dogs. Um, I'm thinking they can find their feet um, after what was a tough loss to Port last week, especially on their the home deck at an away game. It's always handy when you can play home and away at the same time. But um, Collingwood, um, you reeled off some stats. I'll give you some as well. Collingwood have recorded yeah. the fourth most clangers this season and ranked 13 for um, disposal efficiency. Well, the dogs, um, they know how to take a bit better care of the ball. They recorded the second fewest clangers and sit third in disposal efficiency. The ability to take care of the well prove the difference here. I think it should be a really close game. It should be a really good game. The, one of the two or three um, um, better games of the weekend. Um, 
So I'm going to tip the dogs by 12 points. Fair point, fair point. Intriguing game of football. I reckon whoever loses this, you can all just about say goodbye to finals football for 2022. On to Saturday afternoon football, Hawthorne versus Richmond at the MCG. Fraser, can the Tigers win their third in a row or will the Hawks bounce back? I think they can win their third in a row. Richmond were impressive against Collingwood on Saturday and their round nine contest with, um, with Hawthorne should probably prove to be more of the same. We've kind of touched on how we um, kind of think Hawthorne and Collingwood um, kind of similar in a bit of a similar spot um, should probably start to regress. I've had both have um, started well, kind of jumped out of the blocks this season. Um, but yeah, the Tigers, um, they rank number one in the comp and clearances per game while the Hawks are middle of the pack. Richmond's ability to win it from the middle of the ground is even more concerning. The Tigers engine room ranks third for center clearances per game while Hawthorne sits dead last. Both teams rank in the top three in the competition for scoring efficiency. So this one should provide some sort of spectacle, especially with Richmond's strong um, forward half contested marking ability. So I can really see that um, Richmond forward line really stretching the Hawthorne um, defence. And um, I think Richmond wins this one by five goals. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I oh, look, I mean, it's really interesting. The last three games between these two teams, big win to Hawthorne, big win to Richmond and a draw. Uh, look, I, I think Richmond's going to win this game pretty comfortably. The thing for Richmond for me, right, that's going to decide, excuse me, <coughs> this game is Rich Richmond is going to show up because you have the gap between their best and their worst is ridiculous, right? Their, their highest and lowest score this year, there's a 111-point difference. The difference between their highest and lowest score conceded is 61 points. That's, that's off the charts in terms of how big of a gap that is. But with that being said, they're starting to look like 2017, 2020 a little bit, especially with the return of the one and only Dustin Martin. Hawthorne are struggling to play four quarters without having serious and significant lapses. And when they do have a lapse, a lapse, excuse me, which they will in this game, the Tigers will pounce. Richmond by 31 points. On to North Melbourne and Port Adelaide at Bluntstone Arena. Larky could be back for North Melbourne. Mackay out. Bonner, really the major injury problem for Port Adelaide out of that win against the Dogs. Look, this is, I think, the most straightforward game of the round. This was a month ago, shaping up as a really interesting contest. But Port have gone in exponentially better and North Melbourne have not. Power by nine goals. If we get a competitive contest at all, I'll be happy. For mine, um, Port, I kind of touched on them before in my um, one of my highlights. They've obviously started really slow, but have kind of put it together now. Um, not, not to say they're a lock for the top four like we've seen in the last few years, but um, they will get there, should give themselves a really good shot at finishing in the top eight, which is um, obviously pleasing after... Um, a really consistent last few years and um, being able to rebound off a tough, really tough start is uh, is a really good effort. And um, the Kangaroos, um, as you kind of said, it's it's probably one of the more straightforward ways of looking at a game, but they, I think they'll really struggle here. The Kangaroos possess the ball less than any other team in the comp um, and the power really good um, in terms of uncontested ball, top six in the league and North are just nowhere near that. Um, David Noble obviously gave his charges a, what I thought was a well-deserved spray after their loss to Freo on Friday night and has since apologised. Not sure what for because they were absolutely nowhere. Mm. Um, 
I think the wheels were already off at North last year, but it feels like they've put a, ser- put a set of four flat tyres on the car now and they're not going anywhere fast. I've got poured by nine goals. They've changed the tyre only to find that they're stuck in quicksand. Well now, said. on to this, this could be a very intriguing game. St Kilda versus Geelong at Marvel Stadium. The last time these two teams played at that venue last year, the Saints, I think, kicked five goals, 17. Now, here's where I think the Cats are going to win it. They have scored more on average than the Saints by almost 11 points. The Saints scoring has dried up. They've gone from 87 plus points three games in a row to in the last three weeks, 77, 42, 55. Geelong, more often than not, will play four quarters of consistent football. St. Kilda play a half a good football. And they have so far in their five wins, been able to get away with that. They're not going to get away with that this time. Cats by 20 points. These two teams profile similarly statistically. Um, Geelong's mm. a stronger uncontested team. Oscar's a high-quality contested team. They rank, th- they rank third in the league for contested ball. I'm similar, similar to you, though, man, this one. Geelong's ability to mark the ball inside 50 should stretch the St Kilda defence. I mean, on Saturday, uh, on Saturday afternoon, I should say, similar to the way Melbourne... Um, was able to jump the Saints on Sunday, and that fa- and that alone, plus obviously playing in, Ge- in um, um, I think is it a Geelong? I think it's a Geelong. Um, should give them should give them the edge. I've got the Cats by twelve points. Yep, fair point, mate. Now on to the centerpiece of this weekend. It's Sydney versus Essendon at the SCG. Now, I want to ask you, Fraser. Can the Swans rebound or will the Bombers pull off yet another upset? The Swans are big favourites going into this one. That they are. I'm a bit nervous. Um, we kind of spoke about this before we started recording. Um, mm. You're a bit bullish and I'm a bit nervous, so that doesn't bode <laughs> well. Um, not sure actually what that means. Probably could yeah, be. Yeah, probably doesn't bode well, bode well for me, to be honest. <laughs> probably could be a draw, actually. So we're both unhappy after that. Um, so yeah, Sydney were garbage against the Suns. Um, they'll need to be far better than that. Um, if they turn up in similar nick, the Dons will probably beat them by six goals, I reckon. Um, as you mentioned, big favourites. But unless you're West Coast, um, I feel like the Swans are going to give you a chance. They're middle of the road or worse in both uncontested and contested ball. So if you don't really have a strong suit in one of those, you are going to struggle to put teams away. Um, while Essendon struggle at contested ball, they're pretty damn good at um, uncontested footy. So I'd be riding them off at your own peril. Um, the Swans are going to welcome back Tom Hickey, tall Jesus, as I like to call him. Um, so, so keen <laughs> I on that. Brody Grundy. Uh, maybe a bit of both. Um, but yeah, um, Horse should have given them an almighty spray after the dismal performance in front of the 2012 Premiership team last week. So you'd like to think they'll come out firing on Saturday night. They don't get many opportunities to play in front of... Um, Friday night, Saturday night crowds in Sydney this one. So they should be up for this. Um, Sydney have the Dons. Um, in, in a few stats, one that comes to mind quickly is tackling. Swans ranked fifth in tackling. Essendon 17th. And I'd give the edge to Sydney's defence over Essendon any day in this matchup. I've got the Swans, but in a close one. Swans by 10 points. I could see that happening. <laughs> now look right here. The major question is for Essendon, number one. Do you change a winning formula when said winning formula was a result due to forced changes when the flu went through the club? Secondly, can the real Bombers please stand up 
in the words of Eminem. E is for Eminem. E is also for electrifying, and that is exactly what Essendon were. E is also for Essendon. E, see, we're learning today. E is also for Enigma, as in that is what the swans are at the SCG. They are an enigma. Long gone are the dates where it was a terrifying ground to play at as a traveling team. In 2022, Sydney score on average 85.75 points per game at the SCG versus 100.5 when they play away from the SCG. At the SCG, they concede on average 85 points per game, conceding only 72.25 per game away from the SCG. I'm tipping Essendon because what I saw in that last quarter against Hawthorne suggested to me that the Bombers could open the Swans up the middle. And the Swans, as mentioned multiple times, do not deal well with pressure. They crumble. With that being said, these two teams always play a close game against each other. I see no difference. My nails will be chewed. My (laughs) hair will turn white. And my backside will be clenched. It's Essendon by five points. Oh, look out. Keen for that one, mate. Bragging rights on the line. Ripper of the contest. <laughs> now, Adelaide versus Brisbane at the Adelaide Oval. McStay out for a month. That's a big blow for the Lions. Otherwise, it was a pretty routine win over the South Fremantle Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> with, this, with that being said, right, Adelaide are starting to falter. First five weeks, they averaged 87.2 points per game. Over the last three games, two of which they've lost, they've averaged only 61.6 points per game. Defensively, they've gone from conceding 92 points per game to 97 points per game over the last three games. Comparing like for like, Brisbane over the first five weeks scored 102 points, sorry, 100.2 points per game. Over the last three games, they've scored 116.6 points per game. Defensively, first five games, they conceded 70.6 points per game. Over the last three weeks, that's gone down to 66.3 points per game. So Adelaide are getting defensively and offensively weaker at the same time that Brisbane are getting defensively and offensively stronger. For the longest time, the Crows had the wood over Brisbane, but the Lions have won the last three in a row by progressively bigger margins each time. I don't think it will be a blowout, but I think it will be comfortable. Brisbane by eight goals. Yeah, singing from the same um, songbook here, mate. Um, some good, some really good stats you've got there. Mm. Um, Brisbane got them covered in in too many to name. Um, Brisbane ranked first in the competition in goal efficiency. Adelaide's bottom eight. Brisbane's also top three in contested marks inside fifties, marks inside fifties, and contested possessions. Lines by ten goals. Let's keep it simple, mate, and keep moving. Fair enough. On to Sunday afternoon. Gold Coast versus Fremantle at Metricon Stadium. I think this game is also going to be pretty straightforward. I mean, the Suns have only kicked 100 points plus this year once. Uh, Fremantle, best defensive team in the competition. The highest score Fremantle's conceded this year is 82 points. 57.3 points per game they've conceded Fremantle. I can't see Gold Coast kicking nearly a high enough score to, to, um, to really beat Fremantle. I think it will be close. Fremantle and Gold Coast tend to play each other really close. Last year, Freo won by 27 points. But before that, Gold Coast won by two goals and then three points. Going back to 2019, I don't think it'll be quite three points. Uh, but Fremantle, I think, are due for a little bit of a scare after crushing relatively easy opponents of late. Fremantle by three to five goals. 
thought Gold Coast played pretty close to the top of their level against the Swans. And mm. my fear for them is that Fremantle is traveling far better than Sydney and they, they were definitely traveling better than what Sydney dished up on, mm. on um, Saturday. So that's kind of my fear um, for the Suns here. I think they're still a solid team though. So they will make them earn it. Um, Fremantle ranked top four in the comp for disposal efficiency. The Suns are last. Fremantle are also top four in uncontested ball. And the Suns are once, uh, once again last. So tough, tough um, outlook in terms of ball. Um, the Dockers should possess the ball pretty much um, all day here. And um, it's going to be tough for the Suns to get close. Dockers by six goals in mind, mate. Yep. Fair point. Now on to this game that up until today was looking like a fairly easy game to pick. GWS versus Carlton, right? This is why I said it was going to be an easy game to pick up until today, right? GWS, third lowest scoring team in the competition, only better than North Melbourne and the South Fremantle Eagles. Blues are in the top eight for scoring points. GWS concede the seventh highest amount of points so far for the game. Blues are, you know, only slightly better. But for me, Carlton now play four quarters of football. GWS, you're lucky to get one good quarter of football out of them. Now, that was until the news of Leon Cameron coming out and saying that this will be his last game because you would think the Giants would step up for him. And big injury news out of Carlton, Harry McKay's out for six weeks. So all of a sudden, a game that I was going to tip Carlton by eight goals or so. I'm thinking it's going to be close. And I'm still tipping Carlton in this one, but I'm going Carlton three to four goals. What about you, mate? Big out, Harry Mackay. Oh, absolutely. It is um, huge news there. And um, the Blues fans who were um, already had the premiership tickets in, um, in hand, ready to go to the grand final, probably just reconsidering a, t- a slight touch, but I'm sure the confidence is still high. As you mentioned, yeah, it was kind of a, it kind of seemed pretty straightforward, and then Leon Cameron news came out, and it's like, eh, this one might be close. So you have to imagine the players will get up for that. I'm not sure what the relationship is with the players now, but I'd like to imagine that it's still pretty good. I mean, he's a he took most of these players to a grand final, and um, I imagine there's a lot of mutual respect between the playing group and and Leon Cameron in terms of statistic um, statistics. Carlton's far better in contested ball; they're number one in the comp, and by quite a stretch. Um, but the Blues are also far better in scoring accuracy. Um, but as we said, they should be up for this one with Cameron to depart. And it's easy to say, oh, I'll do it for the coach. But um, they, should, they should have a red-hot dip here um, in his last game before um, McVay takes over as caretaker. Um, I think the Blues win, win, though, similar to yourself, and it'll be close. I've got them by six points. On to what should be a very easy game to pick. West Coast versus Melbourne at Optus Stadium. Now, historically, the Demons have not gone well in the West. Last year, when these two teams played at in Perth, the Deeds were up by 33 points or so when a lightning delay happened. 20 minutes later, the players come back out and the Eagles nearly ran over the top of them. The Eagles are going to need a lot more than the bolts of Zeus to help them this time. I don't think it's going to happen fairly easy. Melbourne by seven goals. Yeah, I agree, mate. Pretty straightforward. This one probably could and 
should probably get ugly, to be honest. The Eagles may well look like traffic cones out there if um, there isn't sharp improvement on last week, and it's hard to pencil on, pencil that in when, as you said, the South Fremantle um, Eagles are going to run. So um, in terms of statistics, Melbourne ranked fifth and first in uncontested and contested ball, respectively. West Coast, on the other hand, are 16th and 18th. You won't get much of a bigger um, mismatch in, term, in terms of ball winners than that. So uh, I've come Melbourne by 100. Yep. Fair point, mate, Chief. So I did say 100. So that doesn't come up often, but I thought, I'd, yeah, I'll go the 100. You know what? Why not? Back to yeah. back 100 point plus losses for the Eagles at home. Sure thing. Why not? Now, I want to ask you this. Which game are you most looking forward to? Which game do you think is going to be the biggest blowout? I think I know your answer to that last one, West Coast v Melbourne. But which game are you most looking forward to? Most looking forward to St Kilda and Geelong, seeing how um, St Kilda can bounce back after. Um, I mean, they tried they tried hard all day against Melbourne, but Melbourne's just a bit of a, a league above at the moment. So that game, really interesting in terms of teams for that game. Jack Billings is back in for the Saints. Reece Stanley and Joel Selwood are back in for the Cats. So um, should be a good one. It is at Marvel Stadium, I should say. So the Saints um, um, should give that a red-hot crack and um, that should be a really good game on, on Saturday, Arvo. So really looking forward to that one. What about yourself, man? Uh, Swans v. Bombers. Shock horror. Shock horror. <laughs> Look, right, it's like seeing your two kids go at it and fight each other. But here's the difference. It wasn't that long ago where the Swans would routinely belt the Bombers. And I never looked forward to those games because you knew the Swans were going to win comfortably. This time in the last few years, it's been real back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I genuinely think this game is going to go down to the wire. Whoever wins, you know, sure, I'm happy. But I want the Bombers to win and I think it's going to happen. It's going to be a great game of football. Hopefully they get a big crowd at the SCG, 30,000 plus people. Fraser, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast, mate. Best wishes for Saturday. Hope it goes well. I mean, obviously not so well. Well, well for us. More, more well for us. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it should be an interesting one. I'm sure we'll be uh, throwing a few barbs back and forth during the game. We'll uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully emerge with a friendship still after that one. <laughs> Oh, fingers crossed. We'll see. We'll see. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join me and a co-host next week to preview the Indigenous round and review what should be a massive round nine. Until then. 